Uh, you may all be seated this morning. We're going to dismiss our children downstairs with Sean and Celeste Waldron as they continue their study in the Gospel Project. We pray that God continues to be at work in their hearts and souls. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? Good. That's what I want to hear. Things are going well. The sun is shining. There is hope for Syracuse, right? Awesome. Today we look at everybody's favorite topic. Money. Money, that's right. One of the uh, battles that we identified uh, in this series, My Daily Battle, was financial pressures. A lot of people check that box in our survey. This is something that I face every single day. And that seems a little bit obvious, right? It doesn't seem like uh, anything real profound is being said. We say, man, on a daily basis, people really deal with financial pressures. Um, it's a major cause of tension. It's a primary form of anxiety for many people. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you think about the bills that we get in the mail every single day, probably delivered by John Bousquet or Tom Dugan, we can thank them for that. Don't blame the mailman. I'm just the messenger, right? I just carry the mail. I didn't make it. No, I get that. So, yeah, so mortgages, right? Uh, taxes, right? Cars. The worst is car maintenance, right? Health insurance. Talk about something that has just continued to increase year in, year out. Health insurance costs. Right? Those are just the bigs, really. What about the debts that we have? Right? There are so many people uh, that, uh, I think I'm in year 12 on student loans. Three to go. Right? But there are so many people that are shackled in student loans. Right? They're just, like, it just overwhelms them. That Some people even joke that it's their house at the lake or their house on the beach that they never get to go to. Because the cost is so high and the length of terms that they have to pay that on a monthly basis is so long. And in the midst of all of our lives, we can be impulsive and, and we can swipe that credit card. And, and so we can feel the debt of credit cards, right? And the high interest rates that come with that. And all of a sudden we had a rough month and now we can't seem to get back on track. And it just kind of like an avalanche continues to grow. Due dates, right? Every time it's the first of the month, and oh, by the way, that's Thursday this week, there are bills that are due, right? The 15th, a whole other slew of bills are due. December 25th, seems like a yikes moment for people, right? It's fun, it's exciting, but when it's the Christmas season, uh, man, there's a lot of pressure to put some stuff under the tree, to be a good husband, and, you know... Uh, buy something for your wife. That's a radical idea. Um, and, but it's just a lot. And April 15th, tax day. It's another due date that comes upon us. And some of us get major uh, uh, refunds. And uh, myself, I'm always seeming to pay. Uh, so that becomes not so fun. Market conditions, right? Interest rates, up, down. Inflation, uh, the rate of, uh, of inflation. Bull and bear market. All these kind of market conditions can make us feel less pressure or more pressure, depending upon where we are in that regard. Hopes and dreams that we have. 
man, college for the kids, right? Retirement. I want to retire someday. I, want, I don't want to do this anymore someday, right? And so we save for retirement, and that becomes a, a significant pressure, right? And vacations. We're trying to save for vacation because we're adventurous, and we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to explore. All these things uh, can do that. And not to mention unexpected things, right? I'll never forget when I bought my first house, we basically liquidated every asset just to get into your first house. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You begged every relative, you liquidated every asset, please help us get into this house. And you think to yourself, we made it, we did it, and it's, you know, we're going to build from here. And then in the first month, everything breaks at the house, I'll never forget our first house, like we had like zero bucks left, and all of a sudden the hot water tank blew. Thousand bucks. Is there another option than fixing it? Maybe some of you guys know a way to tap into some natural resource that I don't know about, but you just have to do it. You ju- if you like hot water, you have to do it. Unexpected things like getting laid off, soccer ball gets thrown through the window. A friend of mine told me about that. It never happens at my house. Uh, The brakes go on the car, the tires don't meet inspection. Uh, You're having another baby. Yay! (laughs) Am I overstating it, or is this basically our lives? All those things can create a lot of financial tension, a lot of financial pressure. And in the process of it, you're still hearing complaints from the kids. Daddy, I want. Daddy, I need. The wife says, We need to have this. The honeydew list includes this project and that project, right? And then you start comparing. You look at your neighbor and say, I mean, they got a big uh, trampoline for their kids. And they got a slide for their pool. And you see his new tractor, right? Like keeping up with the Joneses can be a pressure that you feel or at least is perceived. And in the end, you can come to the conclusion, I don't have enough. Right? Isn't that really what it, the pressure boils down to that we feel? I don't have enough. I need more than what I have. And so today, uh, some of you may be in that place, wrestling with these very things. You may make barely anything and feel that, or you may make a ton of flow. And still feel like, man, I just don't have enough. I need more. And so today we come to the scriptures and we ask what help, what wisdom. Is there any rescue? Is there any relief? Right? If financial pressure is is high, when you have pressure, you want to release it. You need a valve that you can twist to say, "Ah," and let go of that pressure. Is, Is there any to be found in the Word of God. How can we better manage our resources that we have in a way that alleviates some of this pressure? We're going to take a look at two main passages today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Grab your Bibles. We're digging in. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. We're going to reference Psalm 73 and maybe some other things. But Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20 is where we're going to start. Let's Uh, hear what Paul says to the church at Philippi. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Some of you may have known, read this passage, studied this passage before. Many of you have memorized uh, 4.13. Some of you are wearing it on your Under Armour gear even right now, right? As that's kind of the whole thing with Stephen Curry, which we'll maybe talk about in a little bit. What do we see going on in this situation, right? We see that Paul was in a place of need. And yet, we see in verse 11 that Paul uh, was content in any and every circumstance. He had learned that. Contentment. Basically, contentment is the, is the posture and emotion that says, I have all that I need. Right? I don't need any more. I have enough. He's saying, I've learned how to be content in any circumstance. Now, for us, that's hard to identify with, right? Especially all the things that we've already listed out. It's hard to identify with that statement. I've learned to be content in any and every situation. This week, uh, Tuesday, I got one of my regular calls from the business department at AT AT&T. Okay? Uh, They said, hey, we're really excited to tell you something. I'm like, what is it? We're excited to tell you for the 50th time in three months that you are eligible for a buy one, get one free on an iPhone 7. And of course, me being the spiritual giant that I am, said, really, I am? That's great! Because my iPhone 6 really could use a little, you know, so tell me more. And so I'm, I'm being silly. I'm listening to this person and they're basically assuming that I'm, as they call me all the time for this, and no matter how many times I say, listen, we're good. We're set. We don't need to add a line. I know we get a free... We don't need all that. We're doing just fine. When it kicks the bucket, you'll be the first person I call, right? When we need a new phone. So anyway, I'm talking to this person, and it's hitting me that they're living under the assumption that we are a people that never feel like we have enough, right? That the iPhone 6 isn't sufficient, that just because there's an iPhone 7 out there, 
that we would love to take the opportunity. And they're living under the assumption that we could always add a line, right? Because we, as an American society, are never really content with what we have. We are driven in this greed-centered, gotta-have-more, never-satisfied-with-what-I-already-have culture. And so they figure if they just keep calling, if they just, just sweeten the deal just a little bit, we just can't resist. Because we've not learned, in every and all circumstances, how to be content. It's just not who we are. We're driven for more. We're ambitious. Right? And we're never satisfied, no matter how much we have. That's just one example, the AT&T, in a million, uh, in a gazillion, really, that we have every single day, confronted by marketers and people that say, uh, we must not have an, you must not have enough, so you need to get this. The, Paul, uh, the, the text also tells us in verse 12 that he knew what it was like to be in need and plenty. So he's, he's content in every circumstance, but he... He understands experientially what it's like to be in need and what it's like to have plenty. Now, I think we might have uh, the ability to maybe identify with Paul a little bit more in this regard, right? I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but uh, just with, with different seasons of life, different circumstances, different challenges that you face financially, there are certain times where you're like, wow, Right? I didn't realize we were able to save that much. or I didn't realize that we still had that much left in checking. Man, we seem to have more than we need right now. And then all of a sudden, six months later, you're like, how did we get in this position? Right? We, we can't seem to scrounge up enough resources just to go to Wegmans and get some groceries. Uh, uh, based on some unexpected things that, that may cause that, or maybe some unexpected gifts that we've received from relatives, or expenses that, or refunds that came in the mail. You know what I'm talking about. The point is, is that circumstances financially uh, over time go up and down, right? They go up and down. Sometimes we have, uh, we're in abundance, uh, albeit sometimes that's just a little bit, sometimes very much, and other times we feel like we're going bankrupt, right? Raise your hand if you identify with that. The six-month swing, I call it, right? How, you feel like you're going bankrupt. In the next six months, you feel like, wow, right? We're doing great. Um, now, some of you may be more even keel than, than maybe me and maybe uh, can say no to things better than me, but that just kind of is the ebb and flow, and maybe your cars don't break down like mine do. I, I don't know, but uh, that's kind of the way I've seen it, that, yeah, in the midst of following the Lord and having financial challenges and expenses, that there's an ebb and flow. Um, and so uh, I think we can identify with that. But Paul says in the midst of this ebb and flow, uh, he's learned uh, to be content, right? The question is how? How has Paul learned in the midst of any and every circumstance to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need with an attitude of contentment? I have everything that I need. How has he done that? Well, he tells us, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I think oftentimes we quote this verse, we know this verse, we remember this verse, but I think we can easily misapply this verse. Thank you, Under Armour. Right? I was at the Under Armour store with my daughter in Boston a few weeks back, and I was shocked to see that they've actually shortened the verse now. Uh, it's just, I can do all things. 
on the front of the t-shirt. Some of you are glad you didn't wear that shirt this morning, right? Stephen Curry, Philippians 4.13 on his shoes. Hey, I'm not here to dog Stephen Curry. I'm just saying that this verse has been butchered and misapplied, right? This does not mean I can run a marathon, okay? This does not mean I can get that promotion, right? This does not mean, right, I can hit a three-pointer in the clutch in overtime against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That is not what this verse is saying. Somebody say preach. Right. What this is saying, in many ways, is the opposite. I can miss the three-pointer in the fourth quarter. Right? I can fall short with a cramp in my leg in the marathon. I can, what? I can not do that great and still be content with Jesus, right? Right? Kurt Warner, I'm so glad you won the Super Bowl. But imagine if you would have lost and you said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Again, not dogging Kurt Warner. I'm dogging the misapplication of that. So the secret of dealing with this uh, financial pressure, the secret of being able to be content in all of these circumstances is nothing more, nothing less than Jesus Christ and His all-sufficiency. And so, like every other battle that we've discussed already, I'm going to beat the drum of the gospel again. I'm going to be a broken record and say that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only remedy for all your financial pressures. And what I mean by the gospel is that Jesus Christ, who He is, and what He has accomplished, and how that has been applied to your life, your heart, every single day, is the remedy, is the rescue, the valve that releases all the pressure that you feel in a I don't have enough, I need more culture. It's the gospel of Jesus. If Jesus has you, you have enough. And that's really the, all that I want to ha- uh, hammer home this morning. That you may feel like, I don't have enough. You may feel like, in the midst of abundance or need, that I just need a little bit more to be happy and to be satisfied. But the Bible is saying, Paul is, is instructing us that I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. I can face every and any Uh, circumstance from a financial perspective and be at peace in my heart. I can be filled in my soul because I have Jesus and Jesus has me. And you say, well, that seems overly simplistic and it seems a little less practical. Well, listen, there is nothing more practical than that foundational truth that Jesus is all sufficient. You don't need anything more to be satisfied in this Life. I don't care what country you live in. Jesus is enough. Right? I couldn't help but think about Psalm 73. Right? This, this psalm where uh, the psalmist is just ticked off. He's just like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I look at the wicked. I look at the evildoers in this world. And you know what? They're healthy. They're happy. And they're rich. And you know what? I've been spending my whole life trying to be faithful to God. I've been trying to keep my hands clean. I've been obeying the Lord. And you know where that's got me? Sick and broke. 
Something's not fair. Right? That's what he's struggling with. He looks at their lives. He sees the prosperity of the wicked. And he's like, I'm envious. I'm embittered in soul. I'm angry. It doesn't seem fair. Right? God should be blessing me for my faithfulness. And cursing them for their lack of faithfulness. But then there's a switch. Because he goes into the sanctuary. That is, he interacts with the presence of God. And he comes to his senses. And he says, now I understand that they're gonna, the wicked are getting their joy here and now. But someday they're going to perish. That like uh, someone who awakens from a, from, a, from a dream. Like quickly. <gasps> that the Lord will come in judgment upon all those who are wicked. And so, yes, they are in the moment enjoying their reward in full. But the psalmist goes on to say, if I can get there relatively quickly, I'll read uh, the whole portion. Psalm 73. I would encourage you to read this this week. He says, nevertheless, as he's looking at them and their prosperity, and he's considering his sin uh, as he's thought through this, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. He says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's saying, you can have it. God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion. And He is that forever. No temporal joy or blessing that this American society can offer you or promise you in this life is any comparison to the eternal joy of having God hold your right hand through life. Through God being your counselor. For His presence. For Him being your portion forever. Nothing this world can offer you. No relief from temporal struggles and financial pressures can even compare to the ongoing joy and satisfaction of living in relationship to God. That's what Jesus has done for us. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. He has reshaped our desires, that which gives us delight. Nothing in this world can do that. And no relief from the pressures of this world can give you that kind of fill and that kind of joy. And you see, you're here today and you thought this was just going to be another message about money. But once again, it's another message about the gospel. That Jesus has come and He's lived a perfect sinless life and He has died for you so He could meet your greatest need. He gave Himself for your sins. He's, he is God's, uh, God the Father's provision for your deepest need, you need to be reconciled to God. And all the things that we chase at in this life are to fill the hole in our heart because we know something is off, something is wrong, I don't have enough. And if you don't know Jesus, that's true, you don't have enough. You're, you're, you're eternally and tragically inadequate for anything. 
But the problem is we pursue all the things of this world, all the temporal realities, the cars, the homes, the, the, the beautiful kitchens, the beautiful things that we every lot $7 lattes, everything in this life that this world offers us. We're at our lowest point. We say, I am low and I need this to refill me. That's all a lie. Oh, by the way, enjoy a cup of coffee, okay? I'm not saying don't enjoy a cup of coffee. I'll be enjoying one after service. But the point is, is that when those things replace what, is, what really is God's provision to give us the satisfaction that we long for, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much money we, wake, we make, it will never fill the hole in our heart. Only Jesus will. Only Jesus will. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. It's His grace, it's His salvation, it's His person that will strengthen you to face any and every financial situation. And I do care what financial situation you're in. But this truth has eternal significance and practical value to any and every circumstance that you face. This is the rescue, the gospel. Right? Money gets at our values. Money gets at our desires and what we love. What we fear we are going to lose if we don't have enough money. Money gets at our desires. And so how we spend it and how we use it says a lot about what we worship. And Jesus, the gospel, the provision of God, is the all-sufficient thing to fill that hole in your heart. So please, see the remedy for what it is. That all financial pressure is ultimately and foundationally released in the all-sufficient provision of Jesus Christ. Turn to nothing else but Jesus. He's enough. Can you say that this morning? Can you say Jesus is enough? If my business fell apart at the seams tomorrow and I was bankrupt... I would be content because Jesus is enough. If I get behind on my bills, if I can't make that vacation, if I, can't, if I can't, Jesus is enough. Trust in Him. And again, he goes on to talk about the provision of God, doesn't he? Right? My God is able to provide all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God is able to supply, Right? How did he supply? He supplied through the worship of the saints who saw Paul's need, who gave to him, who participated in his struggles. Right? Who participated in what he needed and gave. That's how God does it. Right? God provides through people. Whatever God's going to do in the world, he's going to primarily do through Christ's people. God provided uh, to Paul through people. And it was worship. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God in response to the gospel. They knew Jesus. They received Jesus. And now they could just say, hey, I'm content to live in any and all circumstance. I'm willing to live my life with an open hand. I'm willing to worship God with my wallet and recognize that I'm a steward and that all that I have is from Him and everything in my wallet is really for His glory and for the good of other people. And that's all because they knew that if they had given everything away, if they lost it all, they still had Jesus. I don't think we can stay here enough in our American society. 
So many of us love the Jesus plus something gospel. So many of us like Jesus and church to be attacked on to our nice life. I know I often wrestle with that. Right? Compartmentalizing the gospel. That's for Sundays and Wednesday nights. That's for 10% of my money if I still have any left after 27 lattes this week. The gospel. We need to hear it. You can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Can you say that today? You know, Timothy talks about contentment in a similar fashion. Paul's talking to Timothy and he says, there's great, great um, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. But if we had food and clothing, with these we will be content. Right? This passage on contentment is no isolated verse. Paul once again is saying to people who uh, live in a world that is poisoned by the desire to be rich. Right? Tell me that's not our society. There's this insatiable desire for more, to be rich. There, people love money. He goes on to say and warn people, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The question that we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we lovers of money? Do we desire to be rich? Maybe you don't know the answer to that. Maybe that's the source of the pressure. Here's how you can tell. Go online, print your last three months of your bank statements. Review them. Categorize all your expenses. Again, where your money goes is your love. It's what you worship. Um, you'll, be, you'll probably be shocked at some of the things that you will find on your bank statement. The truth about what you worship, who you worship, and what you treasure, the truth is in the transactions. So if you're not sure if you love money, if you're not sure if you desire to be rich, if you're not sure whether or not you're finding your satisfaction in something other than the all-sufficient Jesus, analyze your bank statements. Look at the transactions. If you're married, do it together. Sit down. When you see how much Starbucks got, Right? And how much Netflix got. Right? And how much Destiny and all of its glorious stores got. Right? When you see this, you'll go, wow, this is what matters to me. This is what I love. And when you see things, when, well, let me say it a different way. When you don't find other things in the transactions, it also says a lot. Right? If you don't see giving or sacrifice or generosity, 
in your bank statements. That says something. Again, every situation is different. I'm not trying to make blanket statements here. But what I'm saying is the proof is in the pudding. The truth is in the transactions. I can say all day long that we only spend 100 bucks a month on X, Y, or Z. But every time I review my bank statements, I find that it was a little bit more. The truth is there. Analyze it and see if you love money. Are you driven for more, more, more? Or can you rest in the gospel truth that Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed, right? blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you say that? pray you do. It's the gospel. It's the remedy for all financial pressure in this life. It fuels contentment. It promises provision. And I'm going to make three quick statements, some practical things to consider, that if we have all that we need in Christ, uh, how can we walk uh, in a way that honors that truth? I would say this, that if we have all that we need in Christ, we can be simple. Right? Some of the pressure that we feel is too much financial complexity. We got too many financial commitments in too many directions. All right? I'll confess one silly one for me. Are you ready for this one? A couple months ago, being the steward that I am, I got a car wash. And I signed up for the Delta Sonic because we're going to take care of this thing. I haven't been since. So my car wash was like 60 bucks. Everyone clap for me. I think I would do well to simplify my financial commitments as it relates to car washes. Okay? That's a silly example, maybe even sad. But I think a lot of us are in that boat. Right? There's so much opportunity and so much available to us that we're so spread all over the place that there's so many financial commitments that they leave us in a kind of place of unnecessary pressure financially. And so I think the gospel and contentment calls us to simplicity. Uh, Ralph Winter actually talked about what he called a wartime lifestyle. Okay? It's, under, it's, it's his conviction that the Christian is always living in war. Always living in war. It may not feel like that in this prosperous this or that, but we're always living in a war, right? God and versus evil. Like we're always in the midst of a battle going on, a very spiritual battle in this world. And uh, he makes reference to the Queen Mary. Everybody know the Queen Mary? Right? We were at Long Beach last year for the X-29 thing, and um, we, we saw the Queen Mary. It's big. That's all I can tell you. And it's there in Long Beach. I did not go in it. But supposedly, the Queen Mary was used for two different purposes. It was a luxury ship, right? That you, if you were on there during a time of peace, you would have been in a ritzy boat. You'd be eating off silver spoons and shiny plates. And there'd be uh, uh, about 1,500 uh, people on board. Wouldn't be that many people. Um, I'm sorry, 3,000 people uh, would be on this cruise liner. And then what happened, though, was when England went to war, 
uh, it changed. The Queen Mary. Uh, when England went to war, uh, it would carry 15,000 passengers. Five times. And all the nice rooms with, the, with, with plush this and that, and all the, all the silverware would change. It was simply just trays. And there would be eight guys to a room on bunks stacked up. It was completely different, right? There was basically a shift. This isn't about luxury anymore. This is about necessity, right? The Queen Mary was used to transport troops during this time of war. And so what is being advocated for is that those of us who are content in Christ and recognize that we're living in a time of spiritual battle, that we're to be a people that are, are living uh, simple, right? Our, our financial commitments are, are few and far between. Basic necessities and, uh, in life, not all these uh, luxuries and, and all these things that we invest in. Man, I got to tell you, this one in my preparation hit me pretty hard. It, it punched me in the gut. Can I really look at my life and say, we're living a simple lifestyle? It goes back to something I said a couple weeks. It's about time in every aspect of our lives that we begin to really evaluate and temper ambition and make adjustments. And what I think we can do is if we're content in Christ, that maybe we can approach finances with a little bit more simplicity. As if we're living in the day and age in which we are. A very intense battle. And as many resources as that we can make available to the work of the kingdom in saving sinners from hell, that we can make available to that, that we should do everything in our power to make resources available to the kingdom priorities in this world. Tell me I'm not preaching. I'm preaching myself, to be honest. We can easily feel comfortable with the percentage that we give and check it off and say, yeah, I'm doing what I got to do, right? But we could be missing out on increased opportunity to live simply and to give and to share. The next thing is just self-control. Having all that we need in Christ, we're called to self-control. Fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. Over time, He's going to work that characteristic of self-control. Impulsivity is killing us. Right? Paul says to the Corinthians, let each of you make up your mind about what you're going to give. Each one must give what he has made up in his mind, right? God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know about you, but I think that also insinuates, by implication, that we must make up in our mind what we're going to spend. And we must make up in our mind what we're going to save. And we must make up in our mind what we're going to give. Right? We need a little intentionality here, a little bit of discipline. We need to sit down, see what we have, and just practically have a budget. Right? Do you have a budget? Right? The unexpected happens, but do you have a budget? And do you budget for the unexpected? I'll never forget when I was younger, somebody looked at me and said, financial uh, management can easily be broken down to this, and this is not scriptural. So 80, 10, 10 at minimum. You can't spend more than 80. You're going to save 10, you're going to give 10. Right? So again, that's decisive. This is what I'm going to spend. This is what I'm going to give. This is what I'm going to save. Right? 
And so I want to throw that out to you. Maybe, maybe some of the financial pressure that you are feeling is just lack of plan, lack of budget, lack of awareness, not really looking at it, not really analyzing it, right? One of my uh, good friends says to me always, if you, uh, if you fail to plan, uh, you plan to fail, right? So I think that there's some truth to that. There's some common wisdom to that. So I want to encourage you. If you're struggling, at least start with that. Start with a budget. Discipline will do us well. Last, I think having all we need in Christ we're called to sacrifice. So really it's about simplicity, self-control, and sacrifice. Let me, there's a lot that can be said about this. Let me put it to you this way. You are minimizing the joy that you can have with your money when you're refusing to share it. Think on that for a minute. Right? That joy is increased when we're able to share something we have with someone else. Right? When we, when we hoard and we hold on to what we have, we, are, we think we're uh, protecting our joy. We think we're protecting our satisfaction because of the things that we want to have, the things that we want to buy. But I would venture to say that there's greater joy in sacrifice than there is in spending it on our own personal pleasures. That when you hoard your resources, when you protect yourself, you're actually uh, minimizing the kind of temporal and more importantly, eternal joy that you will have that only sacrifice can give you, right? Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. Jesus joyfully gave Himself, and He gave Himself to us so that He might receive joy. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. The Macedonian Christians, right? It's spoken about in the Corinthians. Why did they want to give? They didn't even have any money, but they were begging for the favor, for the opportunity to share, to sacrifice, to have fellowship with the Jerusalem church. There's joy that you're missing out on by holding tight to your financial resources. Right? Rick Warren understands this. He's like, I made a commitment to give more every single year than I gave last year by percentage. Right? He understands that it's not a, a self-denial thing per se. It's actually ultimately a desire for greater joy. He wants to experience the joy, the incomparable joy of sacrifice. And so I think that we need to really think about that. Are we limiting our joy by holding on too tight to what we believe is ours when actually it's God's and the only reason He gave it to you was so that you might steward it and manage it in such a way to bring Him glory and to have fellowship with those who are in need. So if you're content in Christ, simplicity, self-control, sacrifice. Can you begin to think about these things? 
Can you pray about these things? Can you evaluate your financial commitments? Can you temper ambition? The truth is in the transaction. The gospel is the only remedy. Contentment is the only pressure release to these financial pressures. No, I did not tackle every issue. But these are the things I think that the Word of God speaks to us to reshape our values, not just to save better someday. I think God wants so much more for us than to just be like examples of financial success, right? I think God wants to reshape our values. He wants us to come into His presence and conclude like the psalmist. Eh, they can have it. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Right? My heart, my flesh, it's going to fail. My mortgage is going to be due. Right? But, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The truth is, that's the answer to every daily battle. We've dealt with six, with six of them. We haven't dealt with every battle. Right? There may be some that you thought, I wish he would have talked about this. And I apologize for that. We did the ones, actually the top six, based on our survey. But let me tell you this. If it's another thing that you would have written down or selected or said, this is the thing I struggle with the most, whether it be marital conflict or parenting struggles, physical pain, I don't know what that battle would have been that you would have put down. Addiction, I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you what, the answer would have been the same. Six straight weeks. The gospel, Jesus, God, relationship with Him, crying out to Him, resting in Him, trusting in Him, obeying His commands, walking in His ways, trusting and waiting for the fulfillment of all of His promises. I've got nothing more for you than the gospel. I've got nothing. There's no trick. There's no false promise that I can come up with no management skills. There's no seven steps to squat. It's just Jesus. If you want to deal with your battle in life, if you need help, if you need relief, if you need victory, you must go to Jesus. For it's only His death and His resurrection that gives us victory. Let's pray. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He who the Son has freed free indeed. My heart and my flesh may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To him who's able to keep us from stumbling, to be glory in the church forevermore. Worthy are you, O God. Just our values, not just our money. Change our heart, not just our accounts.